This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. Let's join Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. Let's start with the latest non-farm payroll figures from the United States and jobs growth in the US has remained strong. Employers adding 311,000 jobs in February, which was more than expected. Uh, The unemployment rate edged a bit higher to 3.6 from 3.4% in January. How have markets reacted to this news? They've reacted pretty well. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons, as you say, that the NFP number was higher than expected, but there was a slight downward revision to last month. So that's obviously a big positive on that front. But then the wages component was better. And I think that's the most important thing. There's been a lot of focus on the NFP number recently, primarily because, of course, that massive number that we saw back in January has drawn a lot more attention to it and highlighted how tight the labour market is. But the only reason it's really important right now is because there is a belief, and there is obviously plenty of evidence to back this up, that the tighter the labour market, the higher the wage inflation pressures will likely uh, remain. So the fact that the labour market so tight now draws extra attention to that. But if we continue to see this level of job growth and wages start to come down closer to 2 to 3% at the same time, then we're not going to see the Fed continuing to tighten. They're going to be relatively at ease with that fact. That will achieve the softest possible landing that they would hope for. The problem is that that's unlikely to happen at the same time. So we should still see a little bit more weakness in the uh, labour market figures. But I think the fact that the wage numbers this month were a little bit lower is why we've seen that positive reaction in the markets. It doesn't seem to me that the medicine is working yet, Craig. And in fact, these figures back up what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said earlier in the week. To some extent it does. But I mean, I think Jerome Powell earlier this week really selected his words carefully there's a word he used which you can take to mean what you almost want it to mean he referenced the totality of the data so you could say well we're looking at a breadth of indicators here and there's still plenty to say that the economy is running hot or you could take it to mean well we could look beyond the january data and actually say that prior to january we were seeing movements in the right direction we were just waiting for the labor market to catch up so i think he's chosen his words very carefully there he's effectively left all doors open in doing so but the markets obviously took it to mean that they expect the fed to be more hawkish and there were certain things he said that suggested they would raise rates more than markets are currently anticipating but that was largely based on i think on the january data and i think if we see more cooling effects in the rest of the february data then i think we will see a 25 base point rate hike in two weeks time and then we could see further evidence of the cooling then before the next fed meeting then in May, that effectively gives Powell and his colleagues this out where they can then slow the pace of tightening without actually being seen to miscommunicate to the markets. I think what the data shows us today is that the labour market's still playing catch up. As you say, this is an extremely hot economy, an extremely hot labour market, and we're still working through something. There's still large excess savings uh, from the pandemic period, of, I think around 50% of savings. Now, obviously, that's distributed along the wealth spectrum, not obviously evenly, so th- th- we're going to see a diminishing effect from that but there's also other factors within u.s economy which could mean that the fed has got to tighten more than other central banks for example if you look here in the uk 
at what impact higher interest rates has had on mortgage rates and when people are remortgaging in two years or five years or any time within that spectrum, depending on when they pulled out their mortgage, that's going to have an immediate impact on their disposable income. But there's much longer term mortgages now in the US and therefore you're going to see that lesser impact on disposable income in the shorter term. So that could mean that the Fed has to do that a little bit more and could continue to support things like consumer activity. Uh, and there's other things as well, which means that the US is a bit more able to absorb uh, these rate hike uh, shocks but we are seeing areas of the economy where it is having a bigger impact so i think there is going to be a bit of catch-up it's just taken a little bit longer than anticipated but then if you look at the data again today you can say well the unemployment rate ticked high the participation rate ticked high that's a really important component for the fed i guess what i'm trying to say here is Fed Chair Powell chose his words very carefully. He signaled they could go faster, but he didn't say they will go faster. And I think the Fed will look at this labour market data today and they will say there is more positive points to take away from this and there is negative points to take away from this and that will allow them to raise rates by 25 basis points in a couple of weeks time and i think we're seeing that reflected in the markets not only now is the markets pricing in 25 basis points at the next meeting rather than 15 that's massive uh, it sounds like only 25 basis point difference but it's huge because they dialed down to 25 basis points so had they or if they raise interest rates by 50 basis points at the next meeting that moves back into acceleration mode and what message does that send to the markets both in terms of when they slow down but what it means going forward and the pressures that are going to come for the economy and the financial markets we're already seeing the the knock-on effects of what they've done so far in the financial markets even today but also it means that they could end the tightening process earlier and that's another thing that we're seeing priced into markets not only is the markets favoring 25 base points at the next meeting they're also now pricing in three rate hikes before the terminal rate and that is not what we were seeing prior to the jobs report so i think the markets have taken this well and I think the Fed will probably take it well as well. And is that the reason the US dollar has fallen this afternoon? Yeah, I think so. We're seeing US yields declining. Uh, we're seeing, like say, interest expectations being paired back and we're seeing the US dollar falling as well. And at the same time, equity markets, uh, especially in the US, have bounced back a little bit on the back of this jobs data. So all in all, this is being viewed in the markets very positively and we're seeing markets pair back some, not all, not nearly all actually, but we're seeing markets pair back some, a small proportion of what we uh, saw happen over the course of last month in response to the January data, which we've seen. If we can see now better inflation data, so lower inflation data and slightly softer retail sales spending before the next meeting as well, I expect these expectations to pair back again. Craig, the big story of the day, though, is that trading in shares of Silicon Valley Bank have been suspended as the firm's scramble to raise money provokes fears of wider problems in the banking industry. This is a big story, isn't it? It is. I mean, we don't know how big it's going to be at this stage. But all we can see is that the fear has gripped the markets quite quickly. And we've got to remember this as well. It comes on the back of the story uh, a couple of weeks ago and really the evolution of the story as well with regards to Silvergate and issues there. What it means is that the people are worried now that there is going to be something deeper within the financial system. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to see a big bank run into massive difficulty, uh, but it does mean that some of these maybe smaller institutions could be viewed now as being at risk. And that's why we saw financial 
uh, stocks sell off overnight because it's this big unknown. Where's the exposure? Where else is the vulnerability? We saw this back uh, last year, like I say, when the collapse of FTX. It wasn't just FTX that collapsed. We saw share prices and we saw uh, crypto prices declining across the board because it was a what if, what next? And we've seen that today, obviously to a much lesser extent. Financials have been hit hardest. Sentiment has been far more downbeat in the aftermath of these reports. But we are seeing ripple effects based on the what if. So now we've got a big couple of weeks ahead of us to see if this does move and evolve into something bigger or if this becomes simply an, an SVB uh, issue with certain uh, certain quarters having some form of exposure to it. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But I think the combination of that with Silvergate as well, it's not just equity markets and overall risk appetite that took a hit today. You look at the way crypto has performed over the course of the last 24, 36 hours. Bitcoin's fallen more than 10%. So it was kind of holding around $22,000 with that little bit of risk aversion we were seeing creeping into the markets. And it fell back below $20,000. Uh, and it's bounced back a little bit now moving into the end of the week. But it could be a bit of a nervy weekend uh, on this front as well because this is having reverberations everywhere and it's causing a little bit of fear to mount in the markets everywhere. And all of a sudden, the next couple of days in the markets looks really interesting, even though, of course, it looks really interesting because the markets, crypto aside, are not open. So it's the next couple of days which looks really interesting in terms of how the story evolves, which is ultimately going to dictate how Monday opens. Okay, let's switch to this side of the Atlantic. And uh, next week is a big one for UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, with his budget statement on Wednesday. However, unlike many previous budgets and even autumn statements, there isn't that much which is being trailed ahead of this announcement on Wednesday, is there? There isn't. We've got a couple of factors which we need to bear in mind here. One is that it was only a couple of months ago that we thought the UK was inevitably going to be in recession by now, and we're not. And we've seen a GDP figure out this morning which suggests we've got the year off to a good start, 0.3% month-on-month increase for growth in January. So that's a good start to the quarter, which suggests we're probably not going to fall into recession in this quarter either. And on top of that, that means that the Chancellor has a little bit of extra fiscal headroom going into this budget. That said, it's also committed to cutting inflation in half. It's also got a very heavy debt load. The environment is rapidly evolving. Three months ago to, to now, has, a lot has changed. It could change in the other direction over the next three months, and it doesn't almost want to back itself into a corner. And then you put your kind of political cap on and you say, there's going to be an election in just under two years' time. I'm sure any fiscal headroom, the Chancellor will probably want to save for this time next year to give a fiscal impulse to the economy just before the time when everyone is going to go to the polls. And I'm sure there's probably going to be other factors which we'll see highlighted in this budget. But I, I expect the budget next week to offer very little, maybe a few tweaks here and there, but I think it's going to be very little on a headline front. Okay, so that's the budget here in the UK, Craig, for next week. But what else should we look out for? So I think there's a few things that really stand out next week. One is quite obvious. It's the US inflation data and the US retail sales data. So that's one and two because of what we've just seen from the jobs report and the fact that the week after we've got the Fed meeting, it's going to be so important in determining whether the Fed could be tempted into 50 or will stick to a 25 basis point very hike. So they're the ones that really stand out from a US perspective 
Then on this side of the pond, the European Central Bank meeting on Thursday. That looks a bit more straightforward. 50 basis points heavily priced in now by the market, but it's about what comes next. And the good thing about the March meeting is we get new economic projections and we get the fresh thoughts of the ECB policymakers as well. So I think they're the events that really stand out for me next week, but there is other things scattered throughout the week as well, which is always going to attract plenty of attention, especially on the back, of course, of everything that we've seen uh, materialising towards the back end of this week. I have no doubt it's going to be another really interesting week in the markets. Okay, Craig, have a very good weekend and we shall speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.